You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, this is Doc G, and today we're going to earn and invest in figuring out healthcare during early retirement. What's up, Earning Investors? This episode is a little bit different than previous. It was recorded live at Camp Mustache 2020. That was a virtual get-together. Normally, we do these talks in person, but unfortunately, this year, because of the COVID pandemic, we recorded it over Zoom with a live audience, which is fun for a number of reasons. One is this episode has very minimal editing. So if you ever wonder what it feels like to be recording here with Doc G on the Earn and Invest podcast, this is really what it sounds like. I try to run these podcasts to feel like they're live, and the reason why is A, it's easier for editing, and B, it makes it much more fun and lively for my guests to feel like they're on a live TV show. So this episode is about healthcare and early retirement. We did it in front of a thousand people on a Zoom call, and I hope you enjoy. And by the way, I spruced up my website, earnandinvest.com, and because we did this live over Zoom, the video for this episode is available on the Earn and Invest podcast page. That's earnandinvest.com. Just click the videos link, and you'll see a number of videos, including this interview live. So if you like to watch the video as well as listen to the audio, it's a special treat. And speaking of retirement... Want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. Yo, what's up? Camp Mustache 2020, <laughs> the virtual edition. I am so, so happy to be here. I am Doc G. I'm the host of the Earn and Invest podcast, and we have an amazing panel and a bunch of amazing experts who you can see right now on your screen. But before I introduce them, I want to tell a little story. So bear with me for a minute. My wife was crying. No, really my wife was crying. It had been a hard day, in a hard week, in a hard year, and she was ready to leave this job forever. She had been working nights and weekends and the politics. It had finally brought her to tears. And I have to admit, I was a little excited. Because we have been financially independent for years, and I have been sending her Mr. Money Mustache links and podcast episodes, and she would look at them and say, hmm, and then say no more. So I've been biding my time, waiting for this moment, and we were there. I could barely contain myself, and then she did the exact opposite of what I expected. She said, yeah, I've been reading all those articles, but the truth of the matter is, I really love our health insurance. 
You see, we were getting health insurance through her employer, and my son had just been diagnosed with a chronic illness. Thank God he's doing fine, but there are going to be procedures. There are going to be meds. Who knows what the costs are going to be in the future? And this health insurance plan was perfect. It had a low copay. There was almost no deductible. We could go to whatever doctors we wanted to go to. And when I thought about it, I'm not going to get a subsidy because I'm still consulting and making money. It'll probably cost me $25,000 a year for our family of four to get health care. And if I'm having this conversation at home with my wife, I can only imagine around the country, around the world, how many people are slipping and falling with this same issue, which makes me question, is health insurance the great financial independence killer? Is it the fly in the financial independence ointment? Well, to answer that question, I have an amazing group of panelists here with me today. So why don't I introduce them? Lynn Frere is a nurse and healthcare expert who faced financial disaster in her 20s after a brain tumor wiped out her savings. She is founder of the immensely popular website, phihealthcare.com, and someone I am proud to call a friend. Lynn, say hello to Camp Mustache. Hi, Camp Mustache. Happy to be here. Now, people may not know this, but I hear others refer to you as Mama Frere. Where did that come from? <laughs> Doc, it's Mama Mama Lynn. And I think that it's because all the kids in the neighborhood started calling me Mama, and that was awkward. And so I had to become a specific Mama. And I've heard these really nice compliments lately, particularly in the last year that I'm both warm and strong. And I think that is a really profound compliment. And so I feel like Mama Lynn encapsulates that. Well, if you can't ask Mama Lynn about the tough questions like health insurance, who can you ask? Yeah. Rosemary Fotheringham is an FNTP who teaches people in the financial independence community about the preventative side of healthcare. Rosemary, it's nice to meet you in person. We've never met before. Yeah, well, kind of in person, face-to-face, screen-to-screen. Lovely to meet you, too. Tell me what this FNTP thing is. I was thinking that was like Myers-Briggs, like ENTJ <laughs> or INT. Like yes. Uh, yeah. No, it's a functional nutritional therapy practitioner is my certification. Awesome. I'm looking forward to talking more about that. But last and never least is Jackie Cummings-Koski. She overcame poverty, divorce, and single motherhood and still became financially independent at the incredibly young age of 49. Lynn and I had the pleasure of sharing the stage with her at the Economy Conference in March. Jackie, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Doc G? I'm glad to be here today. And this whole healthcare thing is a big deal. And it was a big deal for me, too. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I'm really ready to talk about that with you. I know you went through a bunch of changes recently in your work-life balance. Before we get to that, though, you have like this obsession with giving away $2 bills. Tell everybody about that. Oh, gosh, the $2 bills. I wish I had one with me. But basically, the $2 bill is how I first learned how to save. So I started that in high school, through college, and through adulthood. And I guess I figured they were special. And when I look back, I realized that that was the first lesson I learned about money is saving. I saved those $2 bills even when I was growing up in poverty, uh, poor college kid, and throughout life. So When I finally counted them, I had about $3,600 worth of $2 bills. Crazy, right? 
So as I do financial literacy classes, personal finance classes, I give away those $2 bills because I couldn't imagine just spending them. They were very special to me and I was only going to do something special with them. So when I do my classes, if there's great questions or great answers, I'm giving you a $2 bill. All right. Before we jump into it, I just want to let everybody know there is Slido out there. Joe talked about it before. You guys have been using it up to this point. We are going to run this panel for 30 to 45 minutes, and then Lynn is going to take over and grab your Slido questions and throw them out to the panel. So please interact with us. If we are not talking about them in the first 30 minutes, don't worry about that. We will get to them. The other thing is I have prepared extensively for this panel, but the way I like it is the panelists have not. So give us a break. Realize I'm throwing difficult, befuddling, horrible questions at them that they have never heard before. So this should be really amusing, if nothing else. So with that introduction, let's get started. Lynn, I'm going to begin with you. You talk about forms of capital a lot. And on your FiHealthcare.com website, you say health and healthcare are a key form of capital for retirees of any age. What do you mean by that? So one of the concepts that I really love is this idea of a more expansive view of wealth where, you know, when we talk about our net worth, we talk about some amount that's in a bank account. And I think that is important. And I think that's what we look at in financial independence, but we really need to look at more expansive view of wealth, like the community of people around you. I think this pandemic has illustrated there are a lot of ways to solve problems and money isn't always the only solution for those. And another form of capital that I think is really important and often found out a little bit too late is your personal, your health capital. That's not something I presented about necessarily last time, but that's, if you don't have your health, you know, that old saying, you don't have anything. So I really believe people should look in the financial independence community more than just at the financial aspect of of wealth. Rosemary, let's talk a little bit about this more expansive view that Lynn mentions what percentage of healthcare costs slash problems are controllable? I've seen you talk about genetics versus epigenetics. Genetics is what you're born with, right? We can't change our genes. Yet epigenetics has to do with the expression of those genes, which often might have to do with our lifestyle. How much can we control and how much can't we? Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot more than we think. You know, I used to, and I think a lot of people think that, you know, whatever your genes are, that's your destiny. I can't help it. You know, my parents had type two diabetes, so I'm going to get it too. But the reality is that your genes are essentially turned on and off by your lifestyle, the way you eat, how you sleep, how you manage stress, how much sun exposure you get and other hormetic stressors. So there really is a lot that we can do. So I'd say a huge percentage. There's, there's a phrase that your genetics load the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. So if you're going to say a percentage, percentage might be a little hard because this issue is very nuanced, but just a lot more than we think. Maybe you can probably get 80% of the way there by changing your lifestyle for sure. I love that. Genetics holds the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. That's excellent. Jackie, you wrote a award-winning book, Money Letters to My Daughter. And in it is a series of letters where you tell your daughter about financial issues. Was there a letter on healthcare? And why or why not? I'm trying to think. There was a letter on healthcare. And I think it had something to do with you're young and healthy. 
high deductible plans are a huge deal now because they are the premiums are dirt cheap. The premiums are going to go to the insurance company and it's sunk cost. So while you're young and healthy, it's a great chance to take advantage of much cheaper insurance. And guess what? You get this extra account where you can save the money that you would have given to the insurance company and you can invest it. So I do remember that letter. And even though at the time she was a teenager, she certainly didn't get it at the time, but now she's 24 and she's asking all those questions around health insurance. Cause guess what? In a little over a year, She's going to have to get her own insurance. Lynn, let's talk about all these questions about health insurance. We are going to dig into specifics, but I want to take another quote from your website. You say, health insurance, it's the biggest unknown in fire planning. And one thing about financial independence that I found is most things aren't as difficult as they seem if you know the right tip or trick, right? If you know the hack, your finances get much easier. Talk about health insurance. Is there an easy button? Is there some primo option that we just don't know about? I don't think there's an easy button. I think that the FIRE movement is comprised of some of the smartest, creative, efficient, brightest people. And there are hundreds of articles on this subject. There is no easy button. I think it can be made much easier by crowdsourcing the information, but I don't think there's a a terribly easy option. For most people, there's a couple of options that I recommend people look at, which is to go to ehealthinsurance.com is an aggregator. I have no relationship with them or anything. has a nice aggregator and it compares options. And the other consideration, which is not actually health insurance, and I want to do a lot of cautions about the pros and cons but health sharing ministries, which is not health insurance. I said that twice. On my website, I detail the pros and cons of each of the plans. There's a lot of considerations to do about your specific situation that I think are important. So there's no easy button, but I think by crowdsourcing the information, we make it easier. Rosemary, you and Jackie share this commonality that your lives have changed quite a bit in the last year. I should congratulate you. You left your job to work full-time on Flourish Fundamentals in late 2019. So this is a very real issue for you. I believe your husband works for himself. What did you guys decide to do with insurance at that time? Well, honestly, right now we don't have insurance, which I know is a problem and we need to get there. Having said that, I feel like the training and experience that I have with nutrition, I feel really confident that for the basics, I can take care of myself, which is really great to know. I know that the body's default state is health. And as long as it gets those building blocks that it needs, it can be healthy. And so as long as I'm continuing to eat well, move my body, get sun exposure, sleep, stay hydrated, all of those things, the body's always seeking that state of balance. We call it homeostasis. So as long as I'm doing those things, I know that my body's default state is to keep me alive and keep me healthy. So while we'll definitely have to, you know, that's inevitable that we'll need to pick insurance, health insurance back up again. I, I definitely feel a level of confidence that like I can take care of myself and, and my family, which was kind of one of my goals of doing the nutrition training in the first place. That is a controversial stance. Susanna in the chat room asks, what if you get hit by a car? 
I know. And that's, that's the reality of like, why it's going to need to be a case, you know, why we'll need to get it eventually. And, you know, I left my job probably a little earlier than I should have financially, but it was just taking such an emotional toll on me that it was making me sicker to be there. So if he wasn't worth the healthcare in that respect, but yeah, as soon as we can, we'll be getting some sort of high deductible plan because, you know, if I get hit by a car, don't give me kale, right? Like take me to the emergency room, <laughs> but, but, you know, for, for things like that are the more diseases that are from inflammation or metabolic dysfunction like that, I've got to, I've got to hold on. Yeah, people don't realize there is a safety net. If you go to a hospital sick, you will be taken care of. The issue is, will it bankrupt you or not? So it's not life and death per se, but it is your finances and certainly catastrophic health care coverage is out there. Jackie, this must have been a similar concern for you. Were you reticent to retire early? And what health care decisions did you make at that point? Well, I definitely had some anxiety around the health insurance piece after I retired because I was one of those people that worked for corporate America for my entire life. And I got dirt cheap health insurance. Like for me and my daughter, I think I was paying like maybe $100 a month, you know, dirt cheap. So all of a sudden now I don't have that nice uh, subsidy that I got from my company. So I had a whole list of things that I looked at when I considered health insurance, like Lynn mentioned the, again, it's not health insurance, but the health sharing um, ministries, I opted not to do that. I'm pursuing my master's degree with an online program. I was looking at getting my insurance there, but since I was doing online versus in person, that was an issue. What I finally settled on was I went to the healthcare.gov exchange. I live in Ohio and The exchange is very state-specific and, to a degree, very county-specific. So I had heard all these things, right, about the exchanges. They're too expensive. Oh, I found a good deal. So finally, I decided to do the digging for myself. And the state of Ohio had 45 different plans for me to choose from. Plus, when I started doing the math on what my adjusted gross income was going to be, I was able to qualify for a subsidy and I was able to get like an amazing Cadillac plan, not even a high deductible plan. I think it was zero out of pocket or I'm sorry, it was zero deductible, $1,200 out of pocket. And it was like $450 a month rack rate. And after my subsidy, it ended up being like $55 a month for this Cadillac plan. So it worked out great for me, again, for my state, my county. So it's definitely worth taking a look at because I was almost ready to get COBRA, which was ridiculously high because I no longer had that my company subsidy. That was going to be like maybe, I think, five fifty, maybe $600. It was a crazy amount. So I settled on my state's uh, AC exchange. Yeah, I wanted to add to that. That's very true. If you go to the general website for the health insurance, It'll take you to your state-specific area, and each state operates differently, very differently. In the state of Washington, there tends to be very high deductibles, which is good. It qualifies you for HSA, but I see deductibles or high deductibles and high out-of-pocket max. I see out-of-pocket max of around fourteen, fifteen thousand, reasonable monthly cost, but I think the subsidies relate to monthly costs and not deductibles. 
that's sort of what I'm seeing. So it's going to vary a lot state to state, but you're absolutely right, Jackie, in going to the main healthcare.gov site, and then it'll route you to your state specific. And that is one option. I like e-health insurance because it shows this graph and you're able to enter what medications you're on and such. And so it shows to see what is your monthly cost and your deductible and your out of pocket. So you can do a comparison of that. Lynn, William yeah. McVeigh in the comments actually suggested that maybe the Affordable Care Act is the easy button. I worry, though, at the possibility that it could be changed. You know, politics play a role in our healthcare system, and there has been a lot of talk over time about getting rid of parts or the Affordable Care Act as a whole. Lynn first, and then Jackie. Yes, I think what we're seeing is an evolution of the ACA where, well, if you guys want to dig real deep into this, I like the What the Health (laughs) podcast, which is put out by the Kaiser Family Foundation. And what we're seeing is an evolution of the ACA where we're doing things like meeting the requirements by having a nice, reasonable, adjustable monthly cost, but perhaps a large out-of-pocket max or um, that would bankrupt a lot of people. So I think what we're going to see is a continued evolution. What I tell folks, because they wonder what to plan. And for healthcare, for a lot of folks, it's more on the order of a mortgage payment, not on the order of a car payment, potentially. And that's why Rosemary's information about preventing and not being so subject to just the whims of the healthcare industry. We kind of think about our house where we wouldn't just let termites in there and then buy the best you know, house insurance possible. We try to do a little of both or a lot of both where we try to prevent the healthcare costs down the line and also have reasonable insurance. So yes, I, I think we're going to continue to see evolution of, of healthcare costs. They're growing at over the cost of inflation and they're 18% of our GDP, which is twice as much as most industrialized countries. Yet we have no better outcomes. Yeah, this whole state-specific thing as far as whether or not the ACA is good or bad. So when someone is, is stating their opinion that, oh, the ACA is horrible or the ACA is great, it, it, it really matters where they live and what exchange they're looking at. But the one thing I appreciated when I was doing my research is that I could put in my physicians, I could put in my medications, And there was so much information that I could put in to be able to refine my search to make sure all of my providers and what was important to me was included in the plans that I looked at. So as long as they met that criteria, I was good to go. And again, I ended up with like 45 different choices that that worked out great for me. For the longest, I was on a high deductible health plan. So I was used to the big, you know, $10,000 family max out of, pa- out of pocket. And what, what worked great for me is I was maxing out my health savings account. And, you know, mine is well worth over $100,000 now. Well, I can still use that HSA money for out of pocket, even though I'm not on a high deductible plan. So if something catastrophic happened, like I got in that car accident or I got cancer, whatever out of pocket, I can still use my HSA dollars to uh, cover that. 
Jackie, I love this fact that we talk about the HSA as a great retirement hack, but you can actually yeah. use it for healthcare. Like you don't yes. have to use it as another, you know, 401k, right. Roth IRA, IRA, et cetera. Rosemary, we've been talking a lot about the Affordable Care Act. There are some other options. You talked about not having insurance right now, and I know that you're a woman of faith from reading your blog. Was there any thought for you guys of health sharing ministries? Why or why not? Oh, that's interesting that you say that. It's funny. I was I was raised in the church, but I'm not really a part of it now. But yes, we've definitely considered it. I think at this point, it it really is just a matter of like getting our revenue up from our own you know, hustles. I, it is obviously a very precarious position to be in, to not have health insurance right now, just because it is like, it's a risk. It is, it's fragile. And I recognize that, but I think that might be, yeah, if we were to go that route, it might be looking into something like that. I just, I don't want to be dishonest and like say that I'm part of a church or something like that, just to join a health sharing ministry. And I don't think anybody should do that. But I think if you, if you do go that route and that's something that they require, then you know, be honest about that. Lynn, there are some downsides to health sharing ministries. You made a point of saying that they are not insurance. And Jackie, a little while ago, said she looked at them and decided against them. Lynn, what are some of the downsides? Well, they're very clear that it's not actually considered an insurance. Your contribution is considered a donation. It's like a bunch of all, a bunch of people get together and they contribute a share. And if you have an expense they operate differently, but if you have an expense, you tend to front load pay and then get reimbursed. There's a lot of exclusions to that. If you do sinful activities, fertility treatment, well, I don't know if treatment's not available. Vasectomies are not covered. Usually birth control is not covered. They're very clear to, to say that they're not technically a health insurance. It's a group of people pooling money. And they, because of that, they can self-select for the healthiest members of the population and so if anybody, for most chronic conditions, that those are excluded on my website, I started listing them out because I really want people, if they're really considering health sharing ministries, to take this into consideration, the downsides of, you know, not to exclude it. People need to make their own decisions, but to really understand some of the pros and cons. The pros are the cost. The cost tends to be quite a bit lower. It depends on your state in the ACA plans but it tends to be on overall, if you can get accepted, quite lower. But I want people to make sure to look at all the cautions. So I I decided against the health care ministries or the health sharing ministries because I'm a sinful person. I, I do things that they consider sinful, okay? I might have more than two drinks in a night. You know, I take birth control. I do things that I don't necessarily consider a sin, but based on their standards, it's sinful. I'm a single woman. So when I was reading through this exhaustive list of things that they are not going to cover, it was not going to be good for me. And I just knew that it wasn't a match. Rosemary, you talk on your blog about hacking housing costs by doing house sitting and going from place to place. One of the healthcare hacks that we sometimes talk about but don't go into depth about is this whole idea of geo-arbitrage. Have you ever thought of leaving the country? I see in our webinar chat that Anne has mentioned a few times getting healthcare outside the United States. Has that ever crossed your mind? 
Yeah, I actually, I spent a significant portion of my 20s overseas. I lived in New Zealand for five years and then Ukraine for one. So I've sort of had a broad spectrum of all kinds of access to varying types of, of healthcare overseas. Some stuff was, at the time I was still under my parents' insurance and some stuff would be covered a little bit, but mostly I just found when I was overseas, like in, I have New Zealand residency. So I was really lucky to be able to have access to free healthcare there. And then Ukraine, just the, the cost of living there is so much lower. So anything I needed done there was just way cheaper than what it would be in the US. But yeah, I if I could go back to Eastern Europe, I would like in a heartbeat because it I just I loved it there. The the quality of life was good and the cost of, you know, that sort of stuff was very low. Lynn, is this a unique problem in the United States? I mean, are people looking to pursue financial independence outside the US having the same issue with health insurance? You know, that was something I was going to mention at the outset is that this is a problem that I see most commonly in the U.S. And so those of you who are outside the U.S. can look at us and uh, <laughs> at our trials and tribulations around healthcare that we have some of the most expensive healthcare, actually the most expensive in the world. I think coronavirus highlights the, um, I'm not going to get political, but it highlights the curiosity around healthcare and finance, both at an intersection. So I, what I hear from feedback from folks on my website is there, you, mine is US based. And really, I think there's probably issues with healthcare outside of that. But I think it's a particular issue for those who are based in the US in terms of not only cost, but access. In the first half of the show, Rosemary, Lynn, and Jackie talk about the complexity of finding healthcare in early retirement. After the break, we discuss how to budget for added expenses and take questions from the audience. But first, this episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. So Jackie, let's break it down for people listening. If you are in the U.S. and you're planning on retiring early, how did you decide 
how much money to put aside for healthcare, especially since healthcare is so unknown. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if we're going to get sick. We don't know if we're going to get into an accident. How do you add healthcare into your fire budget into a, in a reasonable manner? Okay. So for me, I budgeted for what it was going to cost on COBRA. So I went higher than what I thought I needed to go. Again, I'm I'm looking at this two years out, right? So I had not done research on many other things and I thought COBRA was the way to go. So for me, that was like $550. And then as I was getting closer, I, I was able to really dig into all these other options. Now, I still kept the budget of the six, $600 or whatever. The premium is only a part of it. So as I was budgeting, there was premiums. And then there was my out-of-pocket cost. And then I guess the highest amount would have included the max out-of-pocket. So, yeah, I ended up budgeting for about $550, but I had to come up with some number. So it's not impossible to, you know, retire and, and do the healthcare piece, but you do have to budget for it. If it was a, a family of four that was, you know, needed to budget for it, you got to put those numbers in. But just remember, if you're budgeting in kids, the kids aren't going to be there forever. The kids aren't going to be a piece of that puzzle forever. So when you do the math, you don't need to include that. So for me, you know, my daughter was, you know, she's not quite 26 yet. So I included her in that budget, but only for a couple of years, because once she was off, things would be a little bit less. But I just didn't want anything to get between me and retiring early. So if that had to be a bigger line item than I was happy with, then so be it. But I certainly did my research and I was able to lower that price significantly, at least for now, because who knows what, you know, next year, the year after is going to look like. Lynn, how do we decide with all this unknown how to actually set that healthcare budget? Because there's tons of us who are interested in financial independence, retire early, And a big part of that is trying to allocate that budget correctly. Yeah. So I have kids. I am planning to keep them even after having 77 days with them. (laughs) Not that I'm counting. Um, Who's counting? Yeah. I think, well, what I look at is what are the costs of the average family of four in the U.S.? Like the the costs, not when you're an employee, you on average cover about 16% of your costs and the employer covers 84%. This is all average. Right. So the cost for a family of four in the U.S. is about $20,000 a year. You know, there's some variation in there. So it's not some like $100,000 a year amount. And that's a huge amount. That's, that's a very big amount. So you kind of look at what risk are you willing to assume, what variables, but I think the best advice for folks is to truly go in and try out what is on the market now. You can you can test it out. And right now, I think in a lot of states are opening up more enrollment. So you can actually get real concrete numbers for your family in your zip code rather than having some pie in the sky amount. And the amount that you qualify for now is the closest thing we can get to accurate because we can't know what's going to be up or down from there. But it's the closest starting point. And so there is, yes, so about fudge factor, we, I think in some ways in the fire community, you learn to embrace uncertainty because if we try to plan for every possibility, every uncertain situation, none of us expect it to be here like this, that, okay, this is uncertain. How are we going to move through this? How are we going to use those different forms of capital 
and knowledge and crowdsource and figure out the solution to these problems. And Lynn, we don't, we haven't really talked about the independent insurance market here, but I'm assuming if you do not qualify for subsidies from the Affordable Care Act, it's going to be pretty similar whether you go ACA or just independent insurance. The numbers are going to be the same if you're not getting subsidies. Is that correct? What I've seen when I test it out for our family is it tells you, gives you options that this is an ACA compliant plan or not. And those are private insurers that are, you know, funneled through that, that framework. So there are different options you can buy. And I've seen some in chat, some people have short-term options and those short-term options tend to be they're through private insurances and they tend to cost less and they tend to not necessarily be ACA compliant. ACA compliant requires things like mental health benefit and some other. So those can be less of a monthly cost, but I'm not sure if I'm even answering your question. (laughs) I'm just going down my healthcare rabbit hole. Yeah. Did I answer your question, Doc? You did. I think the point being is that if you buy, so the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare is a funnel to private insurance, mostly depending on if you qualify for Medicaid, et cetera. So if you end up right. with a private insurer, you're pretty much getting what you would on the independent insurance market if it's ACA compliant. There are some non-ACA compliant plans that you can pay for that are probably less, but it's buyer beware. You have to make sure you understand what you're getting and what you aren't getting specifically. Right. And I think that there, I'm sure that there are plans that are outside of that funnel too, that are private plans. And there are certain plans that are specific to certain groups of people. We're going to see an interesting evolution of healthcare, I think in the next 10 years. So it's, it can become diluted, but that is a good starting place. I think for most of the population to start to weed out what's available to them. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw a couple of things in the chat box about, you know, the subsidies and, and how much and your agent, things like that. So the numbers were always really important to me when someone was talking about anything about, you know, fire, health insurance or anything like that. So for me, I was 49 when I retired. I'm 50 now. So I retired December 2019. I live off of about my expenses, about $40,000 a year. And that was my budget. Now, for the state of Ohio, I don't know if it's different in other states, but in order to qualify for a subsidy, it starts at $18,000. That's the best subsidy that you get. So I started looking at where my money was coming from because retiring early, you can decide where you want your money to come from if you want it to be taxable or not. When you're working a W-2 job, you don't get a choice. You get the check and, and that's it. And that's your taxable income. But it's based on AGI, adjusted gross income. So part of my income was coming from, could come from Roth IRA contributions. It could come from, after-tax investments that I have. So when I'm figuring out my AGI, I want it to come in at around $18,000, you know, maybe $19,000, maybe twenty. dollars but that's where, that's the window of my max subsidy. So you need to look at the rules for your state. All you got to do is go to the healthcare.gov, you click on your state, and that's where you're going to get the rules. Again, I was going down a whole different rabbit hole, just going off of what people were saying, their individual experience was. So you do have to run your own numbers. And when I saw that $18,000, that was the number for the state of Ohio, I started figuring out, okay, if it cost me $40,000 to live, you know, how do I adjust things or engineer it so that my adjusted gross income is $18,000? So I just backed into it. Rosemary, I want to 
add in a slippery subject right before we get to Slido, which is coming up in a few minutes. But a lot of this conversation has talked about personal responsibility versus insurance, right? So mm-hmm. you especially talked about- I'd say about in addition. In I'd addition, say in addition. Right. Mm-hmm. Correct. In addition. Yeah. Here's kind of a big question. Should we be looking to our government to change legislation to help out with such things? I mean, people talk about Medicare for all. As people are interested in financial independence, should we be looking more to kind of change what we do or should we expect or even push for governmental change to make the situation better? And I know this is a very difficult question. Are we talking about governmental regulations for, you know, recommendations of how people eat and that sort of thing? Because that has never worked out. Yeah. No, no, I'm talking more about things like Medicare for all, where we have a universal Lynn would know more about that than me. Yeah. Lynn, you know, I know it's a sticky subject. You, it is a sticky subject, Doc. You're so good at those. I really like, Doc, when you do panels because you ask really hard questions. That makes me blush. I think... My personal opinion, I'll share with you my personal opinion, is that we, and some people are going to love this and some people aren't, but when we cover basic education for people in the U.S. and people can choose to do private education if their needs are above that and their financial resources allow that, I do kind of wonder if we could do a little bit better than what we're doing right now by offering some very basic health care to folks so that when they're in situations where they're in perilous health, they're not using the emergency room as their primary care doctor because that number one is very expensive and number two is suboptimal in so many ways. So that's that's my personal opinion. I've just I've been in healthcare personally and also in nursing and also in leadership. And I think that the way that we're operating is suboptimal. And yeah, that's my, yeah, some people are going to love that answer. Some people are not, but that's my personal opinion. At the beginning of this conversation, I asked, is health insurance the great financial independence deal breaker? But in a sense, it goes farther than just financial independence. How to pay for health insurance is a problem that people who are financially savvy have, as well as people who are not interested in personal finance. So I think the topic is much more broad than just our financial independence community. It's a good question and a difficult question. You might believe in universal healthcare, you might not, but certainly it seems like maybe we could do a little bit better, incrementally better than where we are today. And For those of us who are planning on early retirement and have been doing the financial independence planning, it certainly would be nice to have a more concrete way of going about healthcare. So you've heard us all talk quite enough. Lynn, why don't we go over to the Slido questions and see what the community has to say? Yes, we have some really, really good ones and they're they're difficult to answer. Could we talk a little about elder care? about affording quality elder spaces versus state-run facilities and their dangers. So, Doc, what do you think of that? That's a great one for Doc G. Yeah, so I I am a physician and have spent a lot of time taking care of elderly in the office, in hospitals, in nursing homes, as well as part of hospice. Elder care is difficult. And it's really easy to rail against what we have in place right now because it is suboptimal, because it's province driven, because there are a lot of things about it that 
don't work. On the other hand, the scary truth is that we need to be able to take care of people who are getting older who have high acuity needs. And right now, our nursing home and assisted living system is probably the best we have. Could it be better? Yes. Could we have, you know, places that were more open, that had more integration of young and old people, that were more life-affirming? God, yes. Could we do this better? For sure. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater These spaces are needed. We need to change the way they get paid. We need to change the way they're regulated. But go to any nursing home and you will find right now people who are putting their lives on the line to take care of our nation's elderly. And a lot of people don't have the expertise, ability, or money to do it themselves at home. So I think we need a lot of grace on both sides. I think the shell of the system we have works right now, but we need to get integrative. We need to separate the making money from the quality of care, and we need to improve. So I think it's a problem. Our elderly are not going anywhere. We're going to have more and more of them as the decades pass, and it behooves us to do a better job taking care of them. Anybody else have thoughts to add on that complex question? No way. No. <laughs> There's um, some questions about COBRA, and I just want to mention COBRA really quickly. COBRA is the Consolidated Omnibus Blah 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 Reconciliation Act, which basically says that you can take over your employer's portion of the cost of your health care, right. and, and plus usually small some small administrative premium, usually around 2%. So if you've been used to the employer paying, say, 84% of the premium, which is average, it's going to be a huge jump. But where that, and it is for 18 months for every plan that I've seen, but you want to verify, where that may make some sense for folks transitioning into fire is if you're toward the end of your year and you've met your your out-of-pocket max, you want to keep your doctors, even though the monthly premium is high, that's, that's the population that I think it may make sense for. I don't know if any of you guys want to add anything about COBRA. Well, There's um, lots of questions and comments about COBRA. Yeah, well, I saw someone mention, you know, I thought that was good for only 18 months. You're correct. In most cases, it's only good for 18 months. That was going to be my bridge. And for me, I was on like the lowest silver bronze plan as I could be. It was a high deductible health plan. And my company was picking up 90% of my premium. And so I got sticker shock when they gave me what the premium would be, plus that 2% when I was contemplating, you know, retiring from the company. Yeah. Two things to realize about COBRA. One is it's a bridge. It doesn't go on forever. And the other is that if you have to pay for it yourself, it's pretty expensive. So we're all used to having our companies pay a portion of our healthcare. When you go on COBRA, they may or may not continue paying that portion so you might have to pay all out of pocket for the COBRA, and then it's not nearly as good of a deal. So just keep those two things in mind if you feel like COBRA is going to be a long-term solution for you. I have a question. Uh, the most popular question right now is, what is your opinion on using geo-arbitrage medical tourism to keep future medical expenses lower in retirement? I have lots of opinions on that. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Whoever would like to speak to that. 
I would first of all say, yeah, you know, if it's an option, move to another country. That's great. Or if you can use expat insurance or if you have elective procedures and can get them done somewhere else, there are plenty of places outside the U.S. where you can get good health care. For a lot of us, it's just not an option. Like I am home with my two kids who go to middle and high school and the likelihood of us leaving the country, settling somewhere else and starting our health care there just for the moment is not likely. Uh, maybe in the future after they're in college. I have a section. I'm I'm seriously not trying to promote my site because I, I told you I make negative $3 an hour on it. But it's, I have a section that has specifically, because I, I queried hundreds of members of the fire community, including some of you guys in the audience and on the panel. And I have three sections about travel and arbitrage and all related things and some things to look at, some pros and cons. Also, the most helpful links people have told me that they're using from people who are actually doing medical geographic arbitrage. So I recommend that because that's a really common question for, I would say if you're U.S. based and you're not looking to relocate, the things that could be geographic arbitrage just for the short term are things like elective procedures or perhaps dental are the things that I see most often people taking like a medical trip. I've never done that. I am open-minded about a lot of things. I'm not excluding that possibility. So that's why I consulted with folks who have. I think it's sections five, six, and seven. Yeah. Um, for, for me, as far as the geo arbitrage, it, it wasn't really something I was interested in, but it was on my list of eight different options that I considered before I made my decision. So I didn't throw anything out. And I think right around the time I was kind of listing out my options and towards the end of last year, I saw that Lynn came out with the Phi Healthcare. And I'm like, man, I wish this was available when I was trying to, you know, do my list. But I didn't I didn't leave anything out. So you you just, you know, weigh all your options. Don't throw anything out unless you've, you know, gone through and kind of evaluated, is this a fit for me and my family? It it didn't end up being the the winning choice for me, but I definitely considered it. Yeah. Do you have, next question is, oh, this is a hard one. You guys are asking (laughs) such hard, these are hard topics. Do you have any advice for families with chronic expensive health issues? For example, a baby with cancer, genetic mutation that causes more cancers. A few thoughts right off the bat is first and foremost, certain things supersede finances. So first and foremost, you have to take care of your family. You have to get them the best care out there as best as you can. So the first thing I'd say is you have so much stress and anxiety. It's fine to try to optimize your finances, but that can't be number one. The first thing is to optimize that health of your loved one. And it's so important. I wish that it's easy for me to say that, right? Because I'm not the one in your situation, but ultimately the relationship, the love you have for your family member is more important than your finances. Do first and foremost what you need to do. I think the second good piece of advice on that is for almost everything nowadays, we have this wonderful internet community of people who have done this before you and are doing this along with you. Join those communities and ask what they're doing. For almost any disease process out there right now, there is an internet-based support group And these people have been through the financial, emotional, and physical strains that you have. So find your community because any one of us here on the panel cannot speak to your medical situation because we're not going through it. But there are people who are, 
find that support and hopefully they'll be able to guide you and make what is an extremely difficult situation maybe a little bit easier, hopefully a little financially easier. I'll just mention this earlier. I mentioned to that even your employers, but most insurance companies, as you are shopping for insurance, they will let you put in your providers, your medications. And I would think that that's extremely important if your loved one is getting cared for a chronic illness to maintain the consistency of the medical team, the medications and things like that. So I would definitely take the time and put in all of those factors that are important before you decide to choose a plan. And even while you're deciding on the plan, a high deductible may work out okay for you, even if you have a chronic illness, but you know, a traditional plan may as well. So you can run the numbers. I think uh, Wix Health has a really good calculator where it will compare your traditional health plan with a high deductible health plan where you can put in all these different factors based on your situation. But again, anytime you're shopping for it, put in your medical professionals and your medications to make sure that's covered first and then choose the plan. I was just going to say for anybody dealing with a chronic health issue, I would recommend looking to talk to a person who practices functional medicine. And we haven't really had a chance to talk about this too much about kind of the contrast between sort of allopathic, like traditional medical model, which is centered more around relief care, and then sort of the functional medicine approach, which is sometimes referred to as just 21st century medicine, which is a more functional model that is focused on finding root causes. So instead of just relief care, it really is like corrective and maintenance care, finding out why is this inflammation happening? Why, you know, why is the immune system like enraged and fighting everything, you know? And a lot of the time it's because inflammation, because of diet and, you know, the way that we're eating. And so instead of getting stuck in this endless expensive AF loop of like drugs and surgery, instead looking for addressing those systems upstream and removing those stressors and strengthening the body's defenses and a functional medicine practitioner can help you do that. So I think that's one of the limitations of, you know, our, our culture is that we always think outside in, but we don't consider that equally important is inside out. So working with somebody that can help you address, like identify and address root causes is really important with chronic disease. It's usually inflammation is just at the root of everything. So it's getting to the root of that fire, that inflammation and putting it out. That's perfect. I was hoping you would jump in on that aspect. One quick actionable thing, and then I'll bring it back to Doc to close us out. Folks who have chronic conditions, and a lot of conditions are inflammatory based, and we're certainly seeing that with coronavirus, for example. It's a lot of inflammation. That's how the body's responding. But one actionable thing is if you have an expensive healthcare situation on average, it makes more sense to have a higher monthly cost plan, which is inversely related to the deductible and the out-of-pocket usually. So insurance companies are smart. They want to get the most money possible. So if you have known fixed expenses that you think are, it usually makes financial sense to have a higher monthly cost and a lower deductible and out of pocket. So as you're considering that, take that. And opposite is true if you're a lower utilizer of healthcare. Nobody has a crystal ball, but those are some things to consider. So thank you guys so much, Doc. Over to you. 
All right, Jackie, close it all out. I want to go through all three of you. Give me a one or two sentencer, summate everything for us. If you are interested in financial independence, retire early, you are looking at that retirement date, you're worried about health care. Can you give us a one to two sentencer? Where do we start? What do we do? Yeah, definitely start with a broad list and work in. Okay. I, at first, when I thought that it was just Cobra, I was really limiting myself. So I came up with about eight different options, even ones that I 90% knew wouldn't work. I put them in there and I did the research. Now Lynn's Phi uh, healthcare website will make that process a lot easier, but start there and even if it ends up being a larger amount, let's say five, $600, it might sound ridiculous, but if that is the system we're working in today, just budget it in. So that's what allowed me to go ahead and retire early and to kind of move this mountain that was on my mind about you know, getting health insurance after I retire. It doesn't have to be an obstacle. And if you start to knock it down piece by piece by, by looking at all of your other options or simply budgeting it in, you're going to be okay. Rosemary, last words. Someone worried about health care, interested in fire, what can they do? Yeah, my big thing would be get yourself, prepare yourself, just take it into account that you may need to spend a little bit more money and time and effort creating an opt-in self-care model so that you're not forced into a disease care model later on. And Lynn, last words of the panel, fire and healthcare insurance or healthcare in general, one to two sentences, where do people start? I think where people should start is coming together with other people who have the same problems to help figure out how to navigate this landscape because it's dynamic and ever-changing. And I think your social capital that you have built around you, your, I, I think I have five, five sentences now, but yeah, I think that's one of the biggest tools that you can use is learning from the knowledge of those who are fighting the same battle. I love it. And that's exactly what we're doing here today with this panel at Camp Mustaches, coming together to talk about the difficult things. I imagine many people in the audience will want to reach you guys read all your material and maybe even contact you. Jackie, how can everybody reach you? Where should they go? Okay, they can just visit me at moneyletters2.com and that's moneyletters, plural, and the number two.com and all of my social media and all of that is on there. Rosemary, where can we go to learn more about functional nutritional therapy, debt slaying, and a slew of other issues? How can we find you? Yeah, you can. Uh, my website is flourishfundamentals.com. You can also email me. I'm rosemary at flourishfundamentals.com. And I do just want to say, like, having been someone who was really sick for most of my life and found that I was able to just get a lot better by the way I ate and I moved, I'm, I'm so motivated to be able to help other people who don't feel like there's hope and to help you know that there is hope. So I'm so happy to help if you have questions or just want to talk about something, like, please reach out to me. It's really important to me to be able to help. And Lynn, where's the best place to find you and attack all those wonderful resources you have? Yeah, so I'm going to come clean here, just like Jackie did earlier. I hate email and I don't like details. And this is an area that's really interesting for people. And so I think I'm going to need some help 
with, so if any of you out there are thinking, boy, this sounds interesting, I'd like to help Lynn with managing emails, supporting people, and helping the website, send me an email at hello at fihealthcare.com. It is fairly self-explanatory. You go into the knowledge base, and it, I give away the password, which is community. But that's the best way. I love seeing people in person. I do. And so I kind of limit my time on email, but I recognize that that's a common path. So I, I think I'm looking for folks to help me with that area. So I'm being honest here. Come and clean. This has been Camp Mustache 2020 Virtual, the Financial Independence Healthcare Panel. On behalf of myself, Doc G, Jackie Cummings-Koski, Lynn Frere, and Rosemary Fotheringham, we wanted to thank Kristen, Joe, and Alma. That's a wrap. So if you're just listening to the beginning of this episode, we were live from Camp Mustache. And one of the things I love about Camp Mustache is that it's a community. And here at Earn and Invest, we also try to create our own community in our Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. Again, that's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. And there we have a community where we continue the conversation. And in fact, One of our community members, Dan Huffman, has been listening to episode 126. That's how to align your passion and talent with Donna Coriel. And also listen to my episode on Bigger Pockets Money. Poor Dan has probably heard enough of my voice this week. But he had some thoughts and comments about those episodes and how they relate to his life. But first and foremost, Dan, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Doc G. It's great to be here. And I just wanted to say that while I am an active duty service member, that anything I say here is of my own opinion and not that of the U.S. government or DOD or Army. Now, Dan, you listened to both of those episodes within about a week's span of time. I think they hit you a little bit where it hurts, so to speak. Why did these both of these episodes have such an effect on you? Well, so yeah, one morning I was driving to work and I listened to your interview on Bigger Pockets Money. And you got to the point where it was at right at the 5130 mark, I remember of the episode. And you got to the point where you were talking about how you were a really good physician and how it was, you basically described it as a talent and that it was, you were good at it. You felt kind of obligated, it seems like, to do it and that you could do a great service to your patients and everything. But you just realized that it wasn't bringing you joy, it wasn't bringing you happiness. And then as you described that for the next couple minutes and you all talked about it, that just resonated with me. And I think I honestly listened to that two-minute segment for probably 12 or 15 times that day. And I have listened to it a whole bunch ever since. And then ironically, later that same morning, I happened to have a, a dentist appointment and I was sitting in the dentist chair and one of the songs that came on was the the old one, the uh, cats in the cradle and the, the one about the little boy. <laughs> and so what you talked about with Dr. Coriel was a trigger event, right? And so uh, we have a 15 month old son and just everything's changed. Like you mentioned, when you had your first child and for me, honestly, going through COVID has been completely a different experience than what probably most people have faced. Because for me, it was an opportunity to really slow down and spend a lot more time at home. And so as I did that, I just started realizing more of what I'm missing when I'm actually gone all day long. And so all that had just been kind of building up. And then I, you know, listened to that episode and then 
was getting my teeth cleaned and heard the song. And then I was like, man, I swear this isn't a sign. And then the next episode came out and you guys talked about children and just, you know, again, kind of pursuing those things that really bring you joy in life. Even if it's something that you're not the most gifted at. Let's give everybody some background. You are a physical therapist, an army officer, and the father of a 15-month-old. Let's talk a little bit about your career trajectory. Part of the big part of the Bigger Pockets episode for me was this description of when I realized that my job wasn't filling my cup, so to speak, that while I was good at it, while it was the thing that I had always planned on doing, it left a little place of emptiness and it made me feel like there was something wrong. Were you feeling something similar when you were listening to these episodes? Yeah, I think so. And this has been something I've been really trying to think through very, very thoroughly. And I think I'm probably overthinking it, but you know, when I look back, I've been in the military for 10 years now and I can honestly say that I've loved it and it's been a great experience but it was never an experience that I thought I would ever have. It kind of became an opportunity that I took and it worked out perfect. And I never intended on staying in the military, but when I was going through the program, one of my professors told us to give the military a chance and that as long as we found purpose in it and that it was rewarding and fun, that we should stick, stick with it. And so I've done that and it's been amazing. You know, we've been able to live in Germany. I've had some awesome, um, a couple good deployment experiences and met, amazing people from all over the world. But at a certain point, it just comes down to everything else. And so I feel like one of my areas of conflict is that it has been such a good experience and it still can be such a good experience. But I feel like there's also something more and there's the opportunity cost of both of those. Talk to me a little bit about your identity as both an army officer and a physical therapist. Are those things that feel very tightly bound to who you are? potentially becoming less and less. I would say that over time, it's a different thing to go from the civilian world to the military in the first place. And it took me a a while to adjust to being an army officer. And then I would say that as I kind of grew into that, maybe just like five or so years ago, that I've embraced it a lot more and become more, that that has become part of my identity very strongly. So, but there are also other pieces of my identity. And I feel like that's where the competition is coming in now. You know, father, husband, potentially a mediocre blogger trying to you know, <laughs> share my crazy thoughts on investing. You know, all those other things kind of compete. And I think that I've just seen, you know, where's the value added to my life and what value can I add to other people's lives? And yeah, then you just see, you know, what opportunities are still present in the future. So I've always felt like every time my my military career would come to a decision point, which is what we call those in the army, you get to that point and then you kind of look around, see what the new information is, and then you make another decision and then you go to a certain point. So I'm at that inflection point now where I have, I have more information and I kind of know the few different directions my career could go. So that's, that's why this has been weighing so heavily on me. Is the choice army versus no army? Or how does being a physical therapist play into this? Because I've noticed when I've asked you these beginning questions, you've definitely spent much more time talking about the armed forces and not very much time talking about the act of being a physical therapist. How do you feel about the day-to-day work of being a physical therapist? Is it what you think you want to spend your future doing? 
Or is that part of this pulling back? It's not just the armed forces, but also this idea of spending hour after hour doing physical therapy. Man, that's crazy. You caught that. I did not catch that. Maybe that's a subtle hint. So I love what I do. Um, It's been really, really rewarding. And, you know, there are just some opportunities being a physical therapist that I've had that no other, very few other PTs would have, you know, Um, deploying, working mass cows, doing trauma, crazy trauma type situations. That's not what a physical therapist typically does. And so I've really, really enjoyed those additional opportunities, the, the opportunity to work with other countries, providers, both you know, doctors, physios, nurses, medics, all that type of stuff and lead trainings. But all in all, I, I help, I love helping people. And I think what I've realized is I used to think that being a physical therapist was my only way to help people. But what I've realized through this community is that there are other ways to help people. And I also thought that my physical therapy career might lead to a career in education and training. And what I've also realized is that potentially financial education can do that as well. So I think I've realized that there are more ways to utilize my skills as an educator and communicator rather than just through physical therapy. So again, that's one of those, those roads I'm facing right now. You've been spending your time reading blogs, writing, listening to podcasts, learning about personal finance and financial independence. Tell me how you think that has affected your trajectory. I always feel like it's a mixed blessing when we are given all of this knowledge it has the potential in a sense to set us free, but it also makes us much more aware of the cages that maybe we were in, but didn't realize it. Has this added to your happiness or in a sense, has this caused conflict that now you're trying to work through? So I think temporarily it definitely has caused conflict that I'm trying to work through, but I think long-term this will definitely result in, in happiness and, you know, a sense of peace So I honestly, I'm newer to the whole podcast world. So I'd been reading blogs for a handful of years, but then a couple of years ago, the radio went out in my car and I just was too lazy to fix it. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll listen to podcasts. And now that's all I listen to. I don't know what, what news music is new or anything like that. And so that has just slowly influenced me. And I think you brought this up as well in one of your interviews where you were talking about how it was really a slow process over time. And so I used to listen to this and I was like, oh, these people are crazy. You know, why would they quit their job? Why would they leave it? And then I went through a phase where I was like, suppose if you are financially independent. And then now I'm at a point where I'm like, well, we have been very blessed to hit financial independence. And I've been blessed with a great career. And we're at a point where I could easily get out and have more time at home when my kid is young. And maybe if we have more children, I could stay home even longer and I could take a more active role in being there with my wife, raising them, or I could do, we could both do something part-time and then she could have her career. She's also a physical therapist, so she could get back into the work workforce as well. So what do you think your biggest roadblocks are? So clearly it sounds like you've got to this point in life where you have some financial leeway. And you're questioning your current situation. How do you go from where you are right now to that kind of quote unquote ideal life? What's standing in your way? So I think part of it is just breaking from the norm. 
you know, I've talked to some of my family actually, and they're not a great big fan of this idea. You know, my dad was like, well, you need to work. And I was trying to explain to him, I will work. It'll just be for myself. I have a couple good entrepreneurial type of, I guess, futures I want to take. And so it would just look different, but it wouldn't look like a clocking in and out, you know, type W2 job. And so I think that that is different. And then I was just selected for promotion. And so that was kind of a big thing because now that kind of guarantees me at least another six or seven years on active duty if I want to. Whereas other people, if they didn't get promoted, they'll be put out in a couple of years. And so, so I don't know. So my, my option that I'm strongly considering is transitioning to the reserves. And so basically my two choices are at this point, transition, transition to the reserves, retire out of the reserves and get a much lower pension, but have way more freedom and flexibility right now. And the reserves, there's a lot of great benefits that I never knew until just a few months ago, really. The other route would just be stay on active duty as I am. And again, when I find myself thinking that through, that just doesn't seem to be what excites me. And so that's where I think I feel more of the burnout. And I just, I don't want to sacrifice what I feel like is years of my life to just get that pension check. And so, yeah, that's been what's been going on. I was about to say, take the staying active duty decision and take away the financial reasons to do it. Is there anything else that keeps you? So this is, I guess, where I was identifying with you a bit when you were saying you were good. Like my wife thinks I make a great officer. Um, She thinks I'm a great physical therapist. My officer evaluations kind of say the same thing. And everyone, there's a lot of good potential there. And so the thing that gets me with the military, though, is it will take as much as you will give it. And I think that I struggle with maybe trying to do that, maybe trying to be a perfectionist or trying to, I like to achieve things. That's one of our rating blocks is achieves. And I like to have a really solid achieves box. And I do, but that comes at a cost. And so I almost feel like it would be removing myself from that vacuum of just endless pull. And there's a lot that I love about it. And I'm honestly, I would be sad about it. If I did end up completely getting off, I would, there'd be some loss there that I would miss out on. But again, the other side of that is the stuff that you can't ever get back, like time with young children, um, that type of stuff. You know, it's really interesting as you say this, I think about my trajectory as a physician. And after I was a successful practicing physician, I realized that I could always achieve more and more in my career and I could make more and more in my career. But the actual achievement of getting to be a physician and getting to practice was probably the greatest achievement I was going to make in that field. And everything else was going to be much more minor. And so in a sense, I had already really reached as an important of a goal as I needed to. And it sounds like you're in the same place. In a sense, you've gotten far in your career. You could keep going farther. And yes, you'd be achieving more. But the question is, would it really make you feel better about life or about yourself or be more fulfilling? And it sounds like that's one of the things you're really questioning. Let's look at it the other way. What aren't you doing that if you were sitting on your deathbed and having regrets, you fulfilled this amazing career in the army, went as far as you could, what would you have missed out on? 
I think that I would always look back and regret having had the choice to be home with my son more and then knowing that I chose to work more. I mean, I honestly feel that I could go to the reserves, do this for the next five years or whatever. And then when he goes to school, I could easily go back to working full time and I wouldn't miss that much. But it's this window of opportunity right now. And so I feel like it's the right thing at the right time. And so I feel like this time is the critical piece. Otherwise, you know, I'd rather retire at 60 and have these next five years than retire at 55 and he's already gone, you know? So I feel like there's a time sensitive piece to this. And it's interesting too, the similarity between you and I is I realized that I didn't have to leave medicine completely. I could become a consultant and work in hospice, which was a lot less taxing. And yet I could still maintain that identity and some of the things I like. The reserves for you fulfills that role where you can distill out some of the things you really like about being in the army without it being all consuming. It really does also hit me when you talk about your children or your child and possibly children in the future is you only get that once. And once it's gone, it's gone forever. Certainly when I was making these decisions, there was some real reticence with my wife. This was a big change. It was a financial change. Tell me about some of your conversations that you two have been having about this. Is it something she understands? I know my wife was not interested as much in reading all the blogs. She understood the numbers very clearly, but there was also emotional aspect of the safety and the security. Um, Tell me what kind of conversations you guys have been having. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point and a great question. Um, first, I'll tell you that I realized one mistake I've made that I want to mention before I forget to mention it is that I didn't start talking to her about how I was feeling about this until more recently. So I think there had been some general, just hints or just, you know, regular complaints about things, but never that this stuff was on the back of my mind. And so I should have brought that up earlier, just because I think bringing it up more recently, it's been a a bit more shocking. And again, I realized that she also has expectations of how things are. And she actually likes the military lifestyle where we move around every few years. And again, she thinks I'm good at it. And we're both PTs. And so she feels like if I wasn't a PT, then maybe somehow in some way, I think that we might, you know, I guess we just wouldn't be the exact same, right? And so those are all things I definitely recommend having that open communication a lot sooner. Um, But what we have been talking about is just, you know, what we want life to look like, what it could look like if we were more free to move where we wanted to instead of the needs of the army. Just being able to be closer to family is a big deal. And that's something that I think has kind of grown on us as we've thought about this a little bit more. And then again, just kind of the freedom for me, it's the freedom to be home with my son. Again, just being with him over the COVID time when I was home a lot more often, it was just so awesome to just be here. Even if I was working on something, just to be able to stare at him or if he like came over to me and I could just poke him or tickle him with my foot or something like that, you know, or just watch him make some silly, ridiculous face and noise and run off, you know? So it's just those little things that you see and it's so rich. And so I, this is the way I look at it on my deathbed. Will I regret working harder or not spending more time with him and it's not spending more time with him. There's always time to work hard. So one of the things that I know happened to me and has happened to a lot of people that I've talked to is 
we as individuals evolve in our thinking about our finances and our trajectory and our careers. And often we do that in a silo where we're consuming tons of information, sometimes without our spouses, family, and friends. And so by the time we really come to these big conclusions about what we want to do with our lives, we've gone through a whole process of reading and learning and hashing this out. And so our thought process has evolved over time. Sometimes that's weeks, sometimes it's years, and certainly it's over a lot of content material. And then we spring it on our spouse or our family, and they haven't had that time to grow and evolve either with or away from us, but they haven't had time to really consume that information and the ideas to the extent that we have. So you're going at a different pace. And so it's really hard sometimes to slow down and match your pace. And as you're slowing down, they're speeding up as they're understanding your point of view and learning more so that you can eventually be going together. Yeah, it's tough. And, And maybe part of the tough part or maybe part of the solution is learning how to look at your goals together as well as your individual goals and see how your career moves get you closer to those goals as a couple and as a family. So obviously this idea of spending more time with your son, this idea of being around more is a probably a big family goal. So it's, it's weighing kind of individual goals, family goals and economics. And it takes, takes a lot of planning together. There's, there's no question about it. I think so. And I think it would really change things even for my wife. You know, if I was here more often, maybe I would just annoy her more, you know, so there's, <laughs> there's a lot of other stuff too. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think you're right though. I think just needing to have those conversations early and often, and maybe even just beyond the the financial ones, but like you said, just goals, life goals. Um, that's been a little bit of something that we've been talking about too. And I think that maybe different life goals, but she hasn't been thinking about them because I've been thinking about all this and keeping it inside. So again, really just having those open conversations sounds pretty important. One thing that definitely becomes clear from listening to you is many people, especially at the beginning of the journey, mistakenly feel that getting to financial independence solves everything. And the truth of the matter is it opens up all sorts of decisions and possibilities, which especially in the beginning can be quite daunting as you try to figure out what your true purpose is, what your identity means, how you are in a relationship, whether that be your spouse, family, or friends. And it tests all those boundaries. And it sounds like for better or for worse, you are now going through some of that difficult period of trying to figure out what's best. And none of that would have been possible if you hadn't been in control of your finances, which is a good thing, but it does bring a little bit of stress. So tell me what decisions have you made and what are your kind of short-term plans in resolving this decision process? Well, you're definitely right. Um, It's really, we're just, again, very fortunate to even have to struggle through this decision. I was kind of jokingly telling someone else that I've talked to about finances that it's kind of a blessing and a curse to have to make this decision. It would be a lot easier if I just had to say, well, I've got to you know, provide for my family and stay on and just go wherever the wind takes me. But so, yeah, this is an added burden. But again, it's a, a burden to a good end, I think. So where we are is 
well, I made a decision, a weighted decision matrix. And so I've been trying to weight three different courses of action based off five or six different criteria. And what continually came up to me was as my top choice is definitely getting out and going to the reserves. And so I feel pretty confident that that's what I'm probably going to do. The question has become when I'm still in Germany for another 10 months and there's the potential, a small potential of maybe extending over here a little bit longer and trying to finish a big initiative that I do have going on that I would be a key member of. And so that would be, I think, more time to, for us to adjust to this thought process and especially for my wife to transitioning to the reserves. Otherwise, it would be 10 months from now and that'd be kind of abrupt, I feel like. And it'd be hard to move back to the States and find a house and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like that'd just be a really abrupt transition. So I think we are leaning toward the reserves pretty hard, but I think I'm just afraid to completely rule it out. You know, I I think in life, we always need a direction. We always need a default. So uh, my default became just retiring from the army. And then as, again, as new information came up, as I reached these inflection points, now I have new information. I think my default is starting to change. And so I think that's what I've been realizing. One of the things that makes your situation a little bit more difficult is usually when we're having these conversations, nothing is a hard stop. So for instance, people leave their job, decide to retire early. If they then then don't like it, they can always go back and get another job. So, you know, nothing is forever. It's a little harder for you because yeah. once you leave full-time army, it's probably hard to come back. <laughs> Unlike another job, as a doctor, I could leave for six months or a year and then I could go find another job. It might not be as ideal. Um, but for right. most of us, none of these decisions are forever and we can decide that we were wrong or decide that we had our year or two or three with a, with a child or another family member and then go back to work. Army, I guess, is not a little more complicated. Well, so physical therapy has been an awesome field that's growing and the army has done a great job of leading the way in a lot of research. And so PTs in the army are actually a really big growing field and there's actually going to be an influx of them. And so I have considered that if I went to the reserves for five or six years and then we'll say kids went to school and I wanted to go back on, that could be an option, but I honestly don't, I just don't feel the need and I kind of feel like the only thing that keeps me wanting to go back to that might just be that I feel like I quit something I started and I hate that feeling. And so I think I'm trying to make sure that I'm, I'm not running from something. Again, I've always heard it said, don't run from something, but run to something. And I feel like I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. But, but yeah, you know, again, if all else fails, I'm still, I still have my degrees and I can still work as a PT, but I think I have other more, more entrepreneurial type of things I would like to do. So you've heard my story uh, on Bigger Pockets Money as well mm-hmm. as on the Earn and Invest podcast. I'm yep. now a few years out from the decision that you're currently making. What are your questions? Like you've heard my story. What are your questions for me? What are your questions for the community about making a change like this? Yeah. So one of the things that I was wondering is just over time, what would you have done different? Or was there a timing component to what you would have done different? Knowing what I know now, I would have gone back in my career and changed much earlier. That doesn't mean I would have left medicine, but I would have started getting rid of those things I didn't like about medicine much quicker. So I worked, you know, two decades 
of hardcore nights and weekends of 60 to 70 hour work weeks of getting called at three in the morning of running out to the hospital at all odd hours of the night of not being available to my family. Cause I was on the phone yeah. all the time. I probably would have transitioned away from that stuff at a much younger age and maybe even accepted the fact that I might have to work longer. I was going to ask, do you think that you would have been okay if you had decreased, let's say you went 50%. Do you think you would have stayed stayed with that path rather than going the uh, uh, hospice route? I might have. I might have worked longer as one possibility. I certainly, from a financial standpoint, would probably want to work longer but would have been happier doing it. So my financial runway wouldn't have been as big. On the other hand, I would have had much easier, better years where I continued to enjoy work as opposed to that feeling of burnout, which you talked about earlier. So I think that's the one thing I would have changed is I wouldn't have been in such a hurry. I would have tried to find out what it is I like at a younger age and pursue that. And if that took me out of medicine, so be it. Do you think that you would have started some of these ventures that you're doing now more full-time? Do you think you would have started those on a smaller level? I know you had your medical blog back in the day, but do you think you would have, I don't know, just kept that more as a, I guess we'll say hobby? I was already doing all sorts of crazy stuff even throughout. So I started a business selling artwork you know, in the end of residency and early in my training, I was writing books of poetry and I self-publish a few books. I was doing medical blogging. So my brain was already pursuing all those things that probably I really wanted to do, but was always too afraid to put more time or energy into them because I was a doctor and that's what I was good at. And that's what I was making money at. It took me a long time to realize that those other things actually were part of what gave my life a lot of excitement and interest and joy. And I was pushing down the joy to do what I thought I was supposed to be doing. So one thing that comes to mind is how long did, how long do you think you did these other things as a side hobby before you realized that that was actually what was kind of refreshing for you? I was doing them my whole life, but I kept on trying to deny the importance. So I always pushed them to the side it was only after I realized I was financially independent that I felt like I had the leeway to take the pressure off to do so much as a physician and to make so much money and to start spending my time doing things that maybe didn't make money, right? Because the thought was, if I leave medicine and start blogging or podcasting or writing books and I'm an absolute flop or failure, how am I going to live? How am I going to make money? Once I realized I was financially independent, it was kind of like, well, I could be a flop or failure. But if I enjoy it, then what's lost? My ego maybe won't be so great, but I'll have spent my time doing something I feel has real value and that I enjoy. And so I didn't have as much pressure. So I had to get to that point where I felt financially stable. I think the older me would look back at the younger me and say, maybe you should have been a little bit more brave and found a middle path that lets you do both. Yeah, you're, you know, sometimes I guess when you take that middle path, then you never you never feel that passion to leave or to, you know, sometimes then you're just kind of stuck in the ruts and I don't know, you know, there's no perfect way to have gone through it. I guess even in hindsight, you don't know what would have been perfect when it comes to this, but. Yeah. We generally end up where we're supposed to. So I'm a big believer in, in 
what your mind does to make decisions, the work you do, the circles you run in, and the time is all necessary. So I couldn't be the person I am today without the trials and tribulations of going through medical training and taking on the practice of medicine and doing what I did. So do I wish sometimes it had been easier? Certainly. But I also don't regret the knowledge that I got, the ability to help people, the experiences that will forever be part of my life. I I don't regret any of those. So in a sense, I think you and I maybe again are the same here is that we are where we are for a reason. And now we have to go through this process, hopefully to get to the other side and to get somewhere good. Yeah, I think, again, it sounds like even though you were pretty burned out, I think I feel like I'm not quite as burned out as what you probably were, but I feel like the benefit is that there was a lot of good purpose in what we were doing. So even if there's some burnout, there's probably still those high points that are still rewarding. You're still helping people. You know, you make a difference in someone's life and that feels good no matter how bad you are burned out. But then there just becomes that point of balancing it out with other things. I think one thing that's hit me recently is as my blog has grown a little bit, is just people kind of reaching out and just sharing And just that's been so rewarding. And it used to be patience would make me feel that way. And now I have another source of that. And so it's just kind of a, I don't know if that's a confirming type of action, but it's, it's encouraging. And again, it's kind of made me realize why do I get this from this, but not this. I definitely felt a new sense of community when I discovered personal finance and started doing those more creative things. I felt more in touch with people who, in the end, felt a lot more like my people than ever the physicians and the medical people did. The great thing about your story is you did the hard work from the financial side so that you have the luxury of these decisions now. So while they feel difficult, uh, ultimately your ability to live your best life has come about because you paid attention to your finances and whichever decision you make, whether you stay with the army and build that way or whether you go to the reserves, they'll end up being good, strong decisions that you made because that's what you wanted to do. So Dan Huffman, I wanted to thank you for being on the show. I'm glad you enjoyed those episodes. I hope they made you think and also realize that there are lots of different right answers and hopefully you will find one that works for you. Yeah. Thanks, Doc G. Thanks for having me on. And again, thanks for sharing your story. It's really, again, helpful for all of us to hear from someone who's been there, done that. And hopefully this can add to that conversation as well. It definitely will. It's my pleasure.